Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Week two in a teaching series that we're calling Bad Advice, and we're talking about bad advice in the form of lies that we believe. Uh, and one of the lies that I believed was that that transition would be okay. Uh, but I saw all of the grandparents working and being like, who's that guy? Why is my grandkid not up there anymore? So uh, I realized that I'm a letdown and I apologize in advance. Uh, my, my name is Mark, and uh, I'm glad you're at Movement Church today. Uh, we've, been, we've been talking uh, about the, the fact that as Christ followers, we're called to be people of truth. We're called to represent the truth because Jesus is the truth. Uh, but that's tough because lies are all around us. Lies that, that we believe, lies that other people tell us, lies that Satan whispers in our ear, uh, lies that, that impact the way we live and the way that we function. And so in this series and even this morning, we want to take a look at just some lies that, that we believe, some bad advice that we receive uh, that Satan wants us to, to fall for. And so we're just going to go ahead and, and share the band-aid this morning. Here's the lie that we're going to be attacking. You ready? Ready for the lie? This is it. Your feelings are facts. Your feelings are facts. That's a lie that we are often told. And feelings are not a bad thing. Feelings are, 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 are an okay thing. God created feelings. God wants us to have feelings, and they can even be helpful, but they can also steer us wrong at times. In fact, our, our feelings can point us toward lies and, and bad advice. And last week, as we kind of laid the foundation for this series, we said that when we're asking certain questions, we're, we're beginning to, to look toward bad advice and believe lies. And these are the questions. Can God really be trusted? Does God really know what's best for me? Am I sure that God isn't holding out on me? And what if God is actually wrong? And let me just say that when we're beginning to ask those questions... Those are, those are bad advice, those are lies, because absolutely God can be trusted. Absolutely God wants what's best for you. Absolutely God isn't holding out on you, and God is always right. And so, over these next moments, we want to unpack uh, this, this lie that we believe when we let our feelings lead our lives. And to do that, we want to look at a, a guy in Scripture who I'm sure you could say felt all of the feelings. Not that he would have been an over-emotional guy, but he just had a lot of things happen to him. And so if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 12 to 21. Philippians 1, 12 to 21. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's probably one under your chair in the row in front of you or behind you there. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we would love for you to take that Bible home with you and have that to, to read and, and study and, and grow. We're going to be on page 708, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 21. We can uh, read along. We just want to see what God has to, to teach us as we talk about the effect our feelings can have on our lives. Verse 12 of Philippians 1 says this, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. All right, well, the, the first thing that we probably need to address as we said that this is written by someone that would have felt a lot of feelings is, who is this that's saying this, and what's he talking about? This is a passage that's written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is a, kind of a, a big deal. He was someone who, who used to be named Saul. He met Jesus. Jesus transformed his life. 
and his heart changed his life and kind of set, set him out on uh, some pretty incredible things. When Paul says that everything that has happened to me, he's talking about kind of his, his ministry resume. He's talking about over the course of his life, he's talking about the fact that he was uh, someone who was persecuting Christians, he was hurting Christians, he came to know Jesus, he eventually became to be a, a leader. He was someone who, who started many of the churches we see in the New Testament, and he wrote large portions of the New Testament. So he's giving us this overview. He's speaking about his resume, parts of his life. And I know we only got one verse in, and I started talking too much. But just give me a second here, because I want to read for you what is Paul's ministry resume. When he says this sentence, when he said, everything that's happened to me, this is what he's talking about. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. But this is from 2 Corinthians 11, 23-28, where Paul just quickly, in the context of this letter, says, hey, here's what's happened to me. This is what this guy is talking about when he says everything that's happened to me. 2 Corinthians 11, 23, he says, I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. He's talking about Jesus. He says, I've worked harder than put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. That's the resume of Paul, and that's really what he's talking about in a nutshell when he says, hey, everything that's happened to me. Paul's writing this letter from prison. He's writing this, this excerpt in Philippians that we're looking at from prison. It's not the first time he's going to be in prison. It's not the last time he's going to be in prison. He's got some stuff going on. And, and prison back then wouldn't have been like prison now. It probably would have taken place in some subhuman conditions. You would have been shackled to a new guard every ten hours. You would have been like a, a dark, damp cave. And you could have probably filed a grievance for the prison that Paul was in. So when he says prison... He means prison, and he's talking about all of the physical abuse he's taken. I don't want to add to Scripture, but I think if you were to, to look at Paul, you would be able to see the effects of that, because he was being roughed up regularly and probably had some, some scars or some things that you'd be able to say, someone's been a little mean to this guy. He's talking about, I've faced death threats, I've faced disease, I've been up against sentences of, as I've been in prison. He's talking about these whippings that he would take. He says he was beaten with rods, and he, he says he's been stoned, and I know that that can have two meanings. I want you to say it, I want you to know that it's not probably the kind of stone you're thinking about, right? He, he's saying, people have thrown rocks at me and wanted to take my life and wanted to kill me. That's part of his resume. And if that's not enough already, then he mentions that he's been shipwrecked. And he doesn't mean like, hey, I went out to Prairie Oaks and I fell out of a kayak. Oh, now I'm all wet. He's talking about his boat when things didn't go well. And he was, he was overboard. He was floating in the middle of the sea for, for a day and didn't know where his future was leading. Didn't know what was going on. He's been shipwrecked in severe weather. He's talking about all the times he's traveled. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a place to lay his head. He's been up against... Bandits, he's been up against people that would have claimed to have been his friends but would have been false brothers and, and wanted to harm him. He's gone about food, he's gone about water and clothes and anything else to keep him warm. And on top of all that, 
I love that he just kind of sprinkles us on. He's like, oh, and by the way, you guys know that I helped start these churches and I'm in leadership, and man, that's a lot of weight. There's a lot of anxiety from that. There's a lot of pressure. He's writing this from prison, and he just says that real quick. And, and so I want you to have that backdrop as we read this passage in Philippians, because this is a guy who would have known all of the highs. Jesus got a hold of his heart. Jesus changed his life. He would have come into ministry. He had seen life change. He had developed other leaders. He had planted churches. He had started all these wonderful things. He had felt these high highs. And then, those are the low lows that I'm, I'm talking about. Paul would have known that, that things are not always great. He would have known persecution. He would have known what it meant to be in danger. He would have known anxiety. And maybe now you're looking at his resume and you're thinking, you're like, okay, my life's not too bad. No one's thrown a rock at me this week. At least I, I hope not. If they have, come and talk to me later. We'll throw a rock back at them or something, right? But, but, but Paul's got a, a tough life. And there would have been this wave of emotions as he lived that life. And you've probably been there in one way or another. You've been there and felt high highs and low lows. And so here are the words of Paul again to go back to verse 12. He says this, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. When you know Paul's life and you know the emotions he would have felt, the things he would have been through in his resume, you hear those words and you think there's something different about this situation. There's something different about this guy. There's a different mindset. He's on a, a different level. Shouldn't he be bragging crying or bragging while crying or some version of that because he's been through all these things, but you're seeing joy from a man and you're seeing joy in a life that has no reason for joy. If I could say those verses that I read about Paul's life, I would, I would probably just be like, oh, I'm going to go take a nap, right? I wouldn't even want to talk to people because he's been through so much. And so you've got to ask this question, well, how does he do it? How does he, how does he do this? And I think the simple answer is he doesn't do it. There's got to be another source for his joy. There's got to be something else in this equation other than his feelings. And here it is, verse 13. Philippians 1 says this, For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because, because of Christ. Being in prison, going through emotional things, being at this moment where you're feeling these low lows would be something that would take a lot of us and make us want to give up, make us want to quit. But Paul saw it as an opportunity to spread the gospel. And he realized that his current circumstances weren't as important as what he did with them, how he acted in the face of those circumstances. Verse 14 says this, And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Verses 13 and 14 and on into 15 tell us that God works and shines in every circumstance. And we don't always believe that, do we? Because sometimes we're going through things that are awesome and we're like, man, God is good. And sometimes we're going through things that aren't so awesome and we're thinking like, God, where are you? Why have you given up on me? Why aren't you working? And Paul is reminding us, no matter what's happening, God is working and the gospel is working and we can have joy. I think it can also remind us that we can always point people to God's glory. We can also point people to what God is doing. We can share our story. We've been talking about being people who let the gospel spill over and share our stories. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're in the midst of, you can glorify God and tell your story. And Paul knows that his life isn't easy. But he sees value and he sees purpose in what God is doing. Here's what Paul's saying about feelings, about emotions, about circumstances, about all these things that go on in our minds, in our hearts, in our life. Paul's saying this, that happiness is dependent on our circumstances, but joy is dependent on our Savior. 
Happiness is dependent on our circumstances, but joy is dependent on our Savior. Circumstances change, so happiness can change. And emotions change, but joy doesn't change because Jesus, our Savior, does not change. True joy isn't defined by our status. It's not defined if Ohio State won last night. It's not defined if you have some friends to go out to lunch with today. Joy is determined by what happens in us and through us as Jesus moves and works. And Paul's joy is tied to his Savior. It's tied to his life's mission. How does he live that mission? How does he know this? How does he just do this so naturally? How does he have joy when he's maybe should be depressed or when he probably should be distracted? And how can we have joy when we should be depressed or distracted? He says this in verse 15. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Paul's alluding to his situation as he was called to advance the gospel and called to teach, and he was saying that there are guys in prison with me who are not doing this maybe the way he would want it to happen, and there were people traveling and building the church and teaching that were also not doing this correct. But what we can see in the life of Paul is there's never going to be a shortage of, of drama, of things that are happening the way we wouldn't design it. In every family, in every company, in every relationship, in every team, probably in every marriage, in every church, in every situation, there will never be a shortage of things that are happening in a way that we're like, that's not how I wanted that to happen. That doesn't make me happy. I wish I could change that. And in Paul's example, we're seeing that people who, who were spreading the gospel, people who were building the church, people who were in ministry were not doing things, maybe the way that he would have designed in his human heart. Maybe you could have looked at them and you could have said, yeah, those people are doing this with bad motives, or these people are, are doing this in a way that, that brings about jealousy, or there's a rivalry between people, and I'm sure if we were to talk about your situation or the things that maybe have changed your happiness in this last week or month, I bet you could, you could talk about some drama, you could talk about some rivalry, you could talk about some jealousy, and we could say, God, what are you doing? This is not how I want this to unfold. And Paul's reminding us that none of these things that we get distracted by matter. Because God is above all of those things, and God exists outside of all those things, and God can still use any person in any situation that he sees fit. And so he can use bad motives. He can use emotion. He can use situations that we don't like. By, by saying those things don't matter, Paul's modeling a selfless attitude for us. And even though sometimes we claim to be selfless, we're actually selfish. Because we still want control of life and people and situations and circumstances. And if we believe that God is in control, if we believe that God can work as He wants to, we have to stop trying to control things. And we have to rejoice that God is moving and working in us and in other people, just as He sees fit. There are things that are good, 
There are things that are bad. There are things that are dramatic. There are things that are complex. And there are things that are going to make you cringe. And yet Paul's saying, I rejoice. He names some more and he says, I still rejoice. If we're not distracted by circumstances, and if we're looking at our Savior, we'll be able to look at life and situations and say, I rejoice. But man, is that not easy. We don't rejoice because things are perfect. We don't rejoice because we're in control. We rejoice because our eyes are on Jesus. And when we worry about people and circumstances, we're elevating those things to be idols. We're elevating those things to be gods in our life, and we let them rob our joy. So we can't be dependent on circumstances. We have to be dependent on our Savior. Well, how does Paul do this? Verse 20 says this, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. I don't mean to glorify Paul today. He's a human like everyone else. But as a follower of Jesus, I I think he's doing something that we want to aspire to do. Paul has moved past placing his hope in things. And he's moved past placing his hope in people and giving his emotions to people. Paul has moved past just being bold about things that don't matter, being passionate about things that don't matter. Paul doesn't want to give honor to other things. He's to the point in his life that living for Jesus is a matter of life and death. And Paul is trusting in Jesus. He trusts so much that he says to live is gain and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is Christ. He shows that he's not being led by emotions or feelings or circumstances. He's being led simply by a love for Jesus. And he wants to know Jesus and see Jesus work in his life, in his friends, in his world. And that's his foundation. So here's our big idea. Here's our response today when we say, my feelings are facts, and we're often fed that lie. Here's the, the big idea. Feelings are not your foundation. Feelings are not your foundation. And if they are, you're going to feel a lot of emotions. But, but Jesus should be our foundation. Jesus should be our everything. Jesus should be what we stand on, what we make judgments from how we make decisions. Jesus has to be our foundation. So why do we feel these high highs and these low lows and these ups and downs? Well, I think we can, we can look at this example where Paul was in prison. A guy that was in prison and was thinking like, man, this, this isn't great. And we create, in some way, personal prisons for ourselves. I don't want to shame anyone, but I just want to name some of these things because I think these are examples of the personal prisons that we create and the things that rob our joy. Some people are upset because they're still single. Some people will put themselves in a prison because they hate their job, or maybe they can't get the promotion they've been looking for, or maybe you never ended up with the career you wanted. Maybe you're still renting and you're happy about that. Maybe you're not happy about how your marriage is looking right now. Maybe your marriage ended. Maybe you've got a child on the way that maybe wasn't part of the plan and you're thinking, this isn't what I designed. Maybe you've got a complicated or dramatic family. Maybe you're, you feel like you're, you're trying to do the right thing, but you're surrounded by, by hypocrites. Maybe you feel let down by the people you love. 
Maybe, maybe you'd look at your life and you've got older kids and you'd say, my kids aren't living the way I raised them. Maybe you've come to be dependent on alcohol or pills. Maybe you're going through an illness or, or sickness or a, a disease that has just changed the trajectory of your life. Maybe, maybe you feel this morning like you're in a financial prison. Maybe you've got college stress or a college financial prison, as seems to be the situation of many people. Maybe, maybe you feel like your, your parents, whether you're in middle school or high school or whether you're 40, the, the expectation of your parents is, is still too much. And when we let the, the places and the circumstances we find ourselves in affect our mood and affect our feelings, we're giving in to a, a personal prison. I've shared parts of my story from the stage for many years, but if you don't know, when I was a junior in college, I was in a pretty serious car wreck. My now wife and I were coming back from my grandma's house with my whole family, and we went off the road, and the car ran a ditch, and the car turned up onto a hill, and so the whole top of the car came down on my head, and I lost a lot of my scalp. I don't know how else to say that, right? And I had a lot of glass in my head. And I've got a permanent hard part in here right now. So even when that haircut goes out of style, you're going to be like, wow, Mark's still doing that, right? That was, that was 2003. And so I went back to the second semester of college wearing a bunch of bandages on my head and thinking that was not the best Christmas break I've ever had. And, and as I was kind of going through that personal prison, the lie that I believed was that God wasn't taking care of me, right? Because you need to have your balding red hair if God's going to take care of you, right? So I believe, like, well, God's given up on me. God's forgot about me. And just as that started to heal, I started to get over that. That summer I was home and my dad had an accident taking a tree down and he was lifelighted to the Cleveland Clinic and he was about as close to death as you can be and some real traumatic things for me. And I, I realized that I'd always looked up to my dad and he was the foundation of my family. And, and I remember just being in a hospital wondering if my dad was going to live and believing this lie, I'm all alone. I'm 21, and I won't have a dad anymore. That school year ended, my senior year, and Kristen and I had been engaged, and, and, and we got married, and, and then I thought, well, I'm married, I made it, life's perfect, I'll never have trouble again. That was a lie, I believe, right? I believed that I could, uh, I could find someone who could complete me and life would be perfect and nothing would go wrong. And sometimes we believe lies when we're being over-positive. Sometimes we believe lies when we're being over-negative. Here's just some examples from my life. About a year later, I was doing my master's, and my, my brother made some mistakes and ended up doing some, some time in, in jail and something that was very out of character for him and very out of character for my family, and it just rocked me to the core. And I, I found myself believing these lies again that I thought I had worked through, like, God's given up on me, God doesn't care about me. And I found myself taking that advice again and thinking, that, yeah, who knows what God's doing? He's not doing what he should be doing. He's not taking care of me. He's not watching out for me. And, and lies aren't just something, that, oh, that was 20 years ago, and now I got over it. Last week, I had a, a friend that was mentioning some book titles he read. He was like, hey, here's a book I just read for pastors. It's really good. The book was called Managing Leadership Anxiety. And I was like, ooh, that sounds like something that would apply to me. That sounds like something I would, I would want to read. And he's like, oh, do you have anxiety? And I'm like, no, I'm not, no, I don't, I don't. All right? We're still in prisons today. We still put ourselves in prisons and in our ways that we want to exclude God working or moving in our lives because we're just giving in to the lies of what those things speak into our life. Have you ever known anyone that had an invisible dog fence at their house? 
they're magical things, right? You put a collar on the dog, and there's those little flags that are supposed to be the guide. And somehow, if the dog gets close to the edge of the property, it just gets a, a jolt or a little a shock, and it kind of paralyzes the dog with fear and keeps it perfectly in the yard, right? That's what our prisons do to us. You ever, you ever just want to tell the dog, like, hey, you could just run over that line, and once you get a little bit that way, you're not even going to feel the power anymore, right? And the dog's like, no. The dog, you can't reason with a dog, though, right? And so you just, they just stay in the yard all the time, and they're just held completely captive and stagnant by the, the fear of that fence. And that's, that's what we let these prisons and these lies do to us. God says, like, hey, you're all alone. And you're like, well, I'm all alone. I guess I'll just stay here and do this thing. Hey, I'm not caring for you anymore. Satan tells us that God's not caring for us. And so we think, like, well, I'm stuck right here, stuck in the yard. And Paul had this personal prison. The guy was in a literal prison, and yet he knew something more. He knew that God had put him in these situations to grow him. And God had put him in these situations to advance the gospel. And God had put him in these situations to glorify him to glorify God, and he was in prison, and so he told everybody in prison about Jesus. And so wherever you find yourself in the midst of a health crisis, you can glorify God and you can live on mission for him. And if you find yourself in the principal's office because your kid didn't behave this week, not personal experience, just seem theoretically talking about that, right? But you can, you can share Christ with the principal. You can glorify God in that situation, and if you're retaking a class because you didn't pass that class the first time, you can have joy in the midst of that trial. And so there's two things I want us to take away from this passage this morning because we look at Paul and look at all the things he experienced. We look at what he felt. And he modeled this. Don't be distracted by people and situations. Do not be distracted by people and situations. Keep your eyes and your heart on Jesus. If our feelings are not our foundation, if our feelings are not facts, we have to decide that something else is our foundation and something else is a fact. There's a passage of Scripture in Matthew 7 that talks about building your life on a solid foundation, building your life on a firm foundation. And whether we admit it or not, we all build our lives on something. Some of us build our lives on our career. Some of us build our lives on our family. Some of us build our lives on the fact that we've been able to prosper and have money or we've got a lot of friends or we're well-liked. And yet when life gets tough, those things don't seem to be enough. And when we build our lives on things that can move or change or be taken away, we find ourselves feeling empty and broken. Scripture says when we build our lives on anything but Jesus, we're building our lives on a lie, we're building our lives on sin. When we build our lives on sin... We're walking away from God. We're walking toward death. We're, we're, we're putting separation between us and God. And that's not a place that we want to be. And God doesn't want us far from Him. And so He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to this world to give His life, to buy us back so that we could know God. So that through the sacrifice of Jesus, we could trust in His death, burial, and resurrection. We could trust in what He did on the cross, and we could know God. That's the firm foundation that we're meant to build our lives on. But to do that, we have to admit that our lives are on shaky ground. We have to admit that our lives are on something that can change and morph and cave in and let us down. We have to admit that we need Jesus. We have to admit that we're lonely. We have to admit that we need a Savior. 
And there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be bad days in your portfolio. There's going to be times that things change and you have a doctor's appointment that ruins your, your world. And there will be moments and seasons and things that we're tempted to let become personal prisons. You'll feel crushed and you'll feel in despair. But the foundation of the love of Jesus is timeless. The gospel that he gave his life to give us life is timeless. And happiness comes and goes with circumstances. And joy doesn't always understand, but joy trusts that God is who he says he is and that Jesus is working. So I think it's a fair question for us to ask. Do we live like citizens of heaven? Do we live like people who have built our foundation on Jesus? And is our citizenship in Ohio? Instead of heaven. Ohio is a nice place, but it's, it's no heaven. Maybe you guys uh, know this, this song I used to sing when I was little. It's, uh, it's, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. But, you know, okay, all right. You guys went to Sunday school. You know the drill, right? We, we, we love that song. We sing that song. We think we know that song. But imagine the ways in our adult lives that we're, we're flipping that song, right? These lyrics aren't as attractive, but we're saying something like, I've got the joy, 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 joy in my new house. Yeah, right? It's really, really catchy. I've got the joy, 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 joy in my new job. Yeah. I've got the joy, 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 joy in my robust friend circle. Doesn't sound as good, I know. i got to work on the lyrics, right? But you know what I mean, right? I've got the joy, 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 joy in my young, athletic, fully capable body. No, that one doesn't work either, right? Okay. I threw my back out recently. That's why that was not working for me, right? But, but there are things that we, we claim to have joy in. We claim to make our foundation. And these things, when you put them in song form, they sound ridiculous. And yet most of us will walk out the door and be like, oh, my joy's in my house. My joy's in my career. My joy's in my social circle. Man, I'm living the dream. And when things happen, when circumstances change, that, that, that happiness is, is gone. It was never joy. So what does it look like to depend on Jesus? What does it look like to, to make him your foundation? What does it look like to, to draw joy from someone and something that cannot and will not change? There's a passage of scripture where Satan comes to Jesus early on in his ministry and he, he tries to tempt him and Jesus immediately goes to scripture, immediately quotes scripture and goes, goes to, to spend time with God. When Jesus is tempted, he spends time with God. And when Jesus was getting ready to, to, to give his life on the cross, when he's feeling probably the most anxiety that a human has ever felt, fully God and fully man and fully realizing that moment and the weight of that moment, he went to prayer. And he modeled spending time with God. And so building your foundation on Jesus is not this theoretical church thing that we, we're going to send you out of here with a t-shirt today is they say, Jesus is your foundation. Living for Jesus and building your life on Jesus is an actual way of life that Jesus modeled. He modeled it by, by going to spend time with God, being in communion with God, and he modeled that by time in Scripture. And so we need to practice the way of Jesus. We need to practice running to Jesus when we're tempted to not have joy, and reminding ourselves where our joy comes from. Our joy does not come from things going great. And our happiness cannot be robbed when things are not going great. Because our feelings are not facts. 
feelings are our foundation. Jesus is our foundation. And if we're going to be people who are different, who are changed, who are set apart, we have to make sure that Jesus is our foundation. And if you've never said, Jesus, you are my foundation. You are my everything. I'm at the end of myself. I've tried everything else. You can make that decision today. Maybe, maybe you're, you're realizing that you've kind of built your life on sand or some, some, something that you thought was good, and as things are shaking and things are moving, that foundation is not good. And sometimes we have to cast those things aside and look, look beyond those things and say, where is the firm foundation? We have to admit that we're lost to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. You're my everything. If you would love to talk about making Jesus your foundation, I'd love to talk to you at the next steps table today. We'd love to talk to you about beginning your relationship with Jesus and admitting that everything else is just a circumstance. Everything else is just a feeling. Jesus is the one and the thing that we can depend on. Your feelings are not your foundation. That's a lie. That's bad advice. Jesus is a foundation. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you sent Jesus to be our foundation. Thank you that we can build our lives on a firm foundation, on a solid foundation. Thank you, God, that Scripture tells us that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you do not change. Thank you that as we're in tough circumstances and tough situations, we can run to you, we can confide in you, we can rest in you. God, help us to be people who practice the way of Jesus and and run to you when we're in crisis. Help us to be people who have joy, not because life is perfect, but because you are perfect and we are looking to you and depending on you. Lord, help us not be led by our feelings or circumstances. Help us to be led by our Savior. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.